Welcome to the Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jen Subchakshai Banker, and I'm here with a friend who carries a different handgun to match every outfit. It's Greg Cass. How's it going, Greg? Oh, I'm so good. Thank you for sending over all those beautiful dresses and handguns. I'm really all set for the fall season, uh, which is no, my way to no cover patterns. up my... <laughs> no, no patterns. Uh, no I, patterns. I also don't look good, good in blue. So uh, you've really taken care of me. So. <laughs> and now we've made this creepy. So we are here today <laughs> to review Priscilla, a film by Sofia Coppola that Greg actually had recommended in absentia in our Thanksgiving episode. Uh, and so PTI and I kind of having not seen the movie at that point had to sort of just guess why you want you were recommending it. Um, <laughs> so the the film is based on Priscilla Presley's memoir, Elvis and Me, and stars Kaylee Spaney as Priscilla and Jacob Elordi as Elvis. So all you Jacob Elordi fans, listen up. Uh, it's <laughs> playing in theaters now. And since it's distributed by A24, you know, they they don't really have a consistent deal with a streaming service, so it's unclear where that's going to pop up later. Could be Paramount Plus, Max, a- Apple TV Plus. You know, that that that's where some of the past A24 films have ended up. So what oh, that yeah, really ahead. means is it will be on Canopy eventually. I, I'm going to oh, get true. more people on the Canopy train. <laughs> canopy canopy agenda. Is- the library, uh, uh, the public library or academic library streaming service has a long, old standing deal with A24, and they get every single A24 release for free later than other services, but it does get there. So, hey, shout out Canopy for just nailing a studio to a really good deal a long time ago. Everything everywhere just got there. So that shows you how long it takes. Oh, nice. But it is yeah. it is fantastic. So there's my plug for Canopy. There you go. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is does not come up when you Google when is Priscilla going to be on streaming, which is literally what I did earlier today. <laughs> or like, where do A24 <laughs> films end up? Uh, Canopy does not pop up in the Google search. All right. If you are listening to us for the first time, we'll have a spoiler-free section. And actually, we're going to try to stretch the spoiler-free sh- section a little bit longer today. So we'll probably be closer to 45 to 50 minutes instead of 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, And we're going to design that for those who have not yet seen the film. And then we will very clearly announce when we're going to shift into spoiler mode for the rest of the show. So Greg, if folks stick around and want to listen to more of our reviews, how can they do that? Jen, I am so glad you asked. If Listeners don't want to miss new episodes when they drop. The best thing to do is to follow the Long Take Review wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, drop a rating, let them know that, uh, and by them I mean the algorithm, know that you love us and continue to follow our show. Uh, We host the main feed on Substack, uh, which you can find on Jen's uh, review page. But you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and more. And hey, even though PT's not here and he does all the work on this part... Why don't you give us a follow on Instagram and threads to see his delicious web comments and content and every once in a while a meme and every once in a while just making fun of one of the two of us. So please give us a follow all those places. He he has been bringing his A game like the the Thanksgiving <laughs> basically like looks like a meme uh, with our <laughs> logo on it. I thought it was great. Uh, also, uh, film film community on threads heating up. I don't know if you've seen this. But mm, there's been a big push push this week to sort of bring back because honestly, that's what was making me hang on to Twitter for as long as I did was mm. all the film critics, because that seems to be the default place 
social media platform where all the film critics hang out. And so the fact that more of them were sort of like, hey, let's get this going. Let's like let's network and follow each other. And it was a really fun set of kind of share your favorite movie questions going around yesterday. So that was great. Uh, well, so yeah, we will be on there. That, it helps that a lot of the studios have now abandoned X, formerly Twitter. So I think sure. they're getting more active on some of the kind of, you know, look, we can be cynical and say it's all just marketing, which it is, but it's really great to scroll through your feed and pause and see like a little, you know, quick trailer or scene from the Marvels or what have you. So it's exciting to see threads really building. I don't know. I don't do tech, but it seems like threads is starting to pull ahead of blue sky and some of those other uh, pretenders for better or worse. That, that seems to be my new home at least too. So yeah, no, for sure. We shall see. All right. We are just about ready to get into our review of Priscilla. But first, we need to do a quick movie news check-in. Just in off the wire, it's your Hollywood news. <laughs> it's still so Who is that guy? I like the cut of his jib. That guy sounds cool. Uh <laughs> As I, I confessed on Instagram, I really think that is just years of me hearing Conan O'Brien doing his own old-timey Hollywood voice. So shout oh, out to fair. Conan for being Conan, but that's that's the inspiration. But genius Jen uh, doing the editing, so so it works there. <laughs> Tell us about what's on the wire. What's up? <laughs> well, so we've got a. I, it's kind of a slow news week, unless you're into award season. I think so. There's a little bit of a award season update in my podcast circuit that I of critics that I follow. People have finally, and by people I mean critics who have early access to movies, have seen the color purple. And so this sort of big question mark in the Oscar race is now starting to get kind of uh, a vis visual, like become more visible and generally very positive. So people seem to say that crowds that they're in during these screenings, these early screenings seem to be really excited for the movie and to be mm. sort of like cheering and clapping and receiving it really well. Uh, and then Daniel Brooks now is like pretty firmly in the, I want to say best supporting actress race. Um, so I don't, have you heard anything about the color purple? Well, I, I was just going to use the opportunity to say it's such a frustrating, is frustrating time of year to be uh, like, Oscar watcher uh, person who's just a normal human without critic screenings because it's like, you know, I, I was listening to Vanity Fair and they're like so tired of talking about American fiction and some of these other, and it's like, or poor things, which so many critics yeah. saw over the summer. They're like, yeah, it's kind of, it's a, just old passe. It's like some of us haven't gotten to see it yet. And it, it's so frustrating. So um, it's really weird that if you just listen to the critics and get the meta narrative that way, it's like, Oh, I feel like I missed all these movies when they really haven't come out yet. And, um, you know, I think you and I, in, in our position, we go to a lot of awards movies as quickly as we can. We, there's just no access. And so I have a long list of things, you know, May, December, uh, boy in the heron, um, uh, American fiction, color purple. And so it's funny when like, there's a big, flurry like what you're talking about where it's like oh we finally got to see this i'm like yeah i'm still waiting for all of those other ones you you stopped talking <laughs> about so um so i haven't seen these reactions but that's encouraging i really felt like this was running in the west side story nobody's seen it nobody's seen it oh it's pretty good oh well too late no attention so um it's encouraging that there might be something better here 
Yeah, it sounds like it has a lot of potential to be a pretty big Christmas release and like be the big movie. And part of that is because it's sort of in the absence of other bigger releases, probably. But like, you know, that that's going to be the the holiday movie potentially that everyone wants to go see. So, yeah, well, we'll see. I like I was like, oh, I'm eating my words because like you, I had sort of dismissed it because I was like, well, no one's seen this. So nobody knows. And based on West Side Story's performance, like, let's let's just not count it in the running. And now I have to go back and adjust all of my predictions um and i think i didn't track this before i hopped on but the gotham awards were happening I th- I, they might be done now uh so that potentially is good that's sort of our first pre precursor because the golden globes is actually the act the first actual precursor but this gotham awards is like the first um critics group mm. kind of precursor so uh they and i think their big controversy was that they recently changed their rules so that they don't have a budget cap on films that can get nominated because they were sort of like an indie film only uh, awards yeah. ceremony. And now like Ryan Gosling got nominated for Barbie and people are like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make sense for the Gotham Awards. Um, but but yes, and there was I was listening to Next, Next Best Picture and they were really talking about like this is the make or break point for past lives that like if past mm. lives can sort of get a bunch of these awards then it's back in the conversation in a way that we were sort of worried that it's not so yeah so award season in full swing yeah well and and i'm i just want to pile on and be like it's so silly that the gotham awards made that rule change and and i i'm sure i've heard a lot of the same critics making fun of it because it is important to have roots for these smaller films without the giant machine pushing them to kind of get into this space and um, I think it's right to say Past Lives is the one that could most benefit from that kind of, I I don't want to say resuscitation because its chances aren't dead right now. But I think what was the advantage of being out early has turned into a disadvantage because it just feels like a lifetime ago. And mm-hmm. there's so much excitement now that movie stars are back out. It's kind of lost some of those advantages. But, you know, hearing PT on the Thanksgiving episode kind of remind us how great it was, was really nice and it's like yeah i did really love that and people who are listening should go back and hear you and antonio unpack it i mean our top episode of all time because of the antonio hive but um also because it's a really great movie and it's the kind of movie as you said in the thanksgiving episode that this is the kind of one you want to talk about after right you got to watch it and then have a like cup of tea at home after streaming it or or you go out and have a drink and, and talk through it um you know i always love uh Uh, there was one time it was ex machina. My friend and I saw the movie. We got in the elevator back to the parking garage. We got to our floor and then it was like, no, I think we should go back to the bar and have a beer and talk about this movie and figure (laughs) out our thoughts. And uh, that's what past lives is. It's a get back down in, go have a drink and enjoy it. So um, hopefully past lives can recapture some of that magic. Uh, I just want to fill in some strike recovery news uh because when the strike happened i discussed on air how i had the night uh before the strike seen beetlejuice 2 set up for filming and beetlejuice 2 came back and filmed in our hometown uh again uh, ours being my family you don't live here um and so i got to walk by uh the set which is very cool for us non-hollywood people like you and pt who are i'm sure just tripping over brad pitt on your way to get your your mail uh but um you know, uh, it was very cool to see Tim Burton back in town and Jenny Ortega, who uh, to transition to your next story, 
suddenly has a lot more free time because uh. the screen <laughs> franchise has imploded. Um, I think you're right to say this is not a podcast where we're going to parse through the the politics of the Israel-Palestine uh, fight. There are much more uh, apt podcasts for doing that. But it it is notable to say that when somebody kind of makes a political stand outside of a film and gets kind of summarily fired, uh, you know, without any questions asked, I think that's that's a little chilling. And again, I'm I I certainly think there are times when that is deserved, but it's a little shocking when it's somebody getting essentially canceled for a political belief in a complex, nuanced situation. Now, the fact that Jenny Ortega also said, see you later, I think is pretty baller. And uh, I think the free the franchise is definitely uh, screwed. <laughs> yeah. And I think news stories that I saw framed it as Jenna Ortega was like already not going to be on it because of scheduling conflict. But if that kind of feels and again, I have no fact to base this on, but that to me, it mm. sort of felt a little bit like a cover story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, a, <laughs> of like, like that's the that's the, uh, the the nominal excuse, but like she actually just doesn't want to be a part of this whole mess, uh, which I don't blame mm. her for. Um, so yeah, that's I, I don't know. It's tricky, and I think Susan Sarandon also had a problem similar to this. And the problem is like I didn't actually click on these articles to like read mm. what the nature of the comments they made were. Um, so it's hard to I don't feel comfortable weighing in on whether or not these things are justified or not. But it is just the general concept. You're absolutely right. Is like really un- unsettling. And is this is this just going to keep happening or is this going to turn mm-hmm. it? So, yeah. The, and like you know, this has happened to Hollywood before where it's like, the you know, the last place we want political discourse to be taking place is in Hollywood, probably. And yet, like because of the, you know, the visibility of it. That's sort of usually where where these things end up, and so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if this is just like the beginning of a series of these uh, kinds of uh, falling outs uh, between actors and studios and stuff like that. But we'll yeah, we'll see. Um, well, and real and, real world events are more important, but our job is to talk about movies, and so yeah, Scream had just gotten some momentum again. It seemed like it was reinvigorated. And so this I the immediately it was like, we're calling anybody famous who was once in a screen movie to see if they could please come back now, because, um, you know, it, it's not going to make a lot of sense to shift away from these two sisters. And I I guess I won't spoil some of the screen movies, but, you yeah, know, it's these, like, I haven't seen I didn't even know they were sisters. <laughs> <laughs> These are true legacy characters within Scream, um, you know, and that is kind of revealed in the course of the first of their movies. And so it's not like you can just be like, oh, and here's a different kid of a different Scream cast member we've never mentioned before. It's like they got away with it once. And so now it's. Mm. I, I think the best thing to do is just put Scream away for a while again. Um, but you know, studios got a studio and, and IP is, is king. So I'm sure we'll get something dreadful that will make a ton of money the first weekend and nothing the second weekend. Oh yeah, it's tough. Sorry, scream fans. Um, I, I was not among them cause I'm not a big horror person, but, um, yeah, sorry. Sorry to everyone who's, <laughs> for whom this is important, important franchise. Um, to, to kind of double back to our uh, Gotham Award news, I looked it up the Hollywood Reporter is updating it live. Anatomy of a Fall won Best International Feature. Mm. At least I think I'm reading that right. Although the nominees next to it don't make sense in that context. So like, I'm like, what is happening? 
because all of us it says all of us strangers anatomy of a fall poor things totem and zone of interest i guess that is all of us strangers an international feature i guess i didn't realize that i think it is yeah oh okay well <laughs> they probably have a looser it's it's not a foreign language it probably is like oh like it can be the film can be in english country. and it's not yeah it. okay so that's exciting hey, and i think a lot of people are counting that out of the race yeah. Zone of interest is another one critics are done talking about. It's like, show us the movie. I <laughs> yes, want to see the we movie. Just, we just uh, want to see the yeah. movie. I saw a trailer but I for do it. Think... Okay. Okay. In the theater, like before Priscilla, <laughs> before Priscilla, maybe that's how we get back to Priscilla. Mm. Um, uh, nice. Yeah. The, the, the Priscilla trailers that I saw were very weird because it started with Argyle, which I feel like is just playing at every movie. Every uh, maybe single, what... single okay. movie. Yeah. Okay. Because I was like, oh, <laughs> that's weird. And then it was like a slew of of award season contenders because it was like, um, Iron Claw and Zone of Interest and a couple others that we often mention but probably haven't seen. And so, so uh, that was the first time I'd actually seen the Zone of Interest trailer because I hadn't watched it online, and it looks intense. So. <laughs> I don't get such delicious treats. I have seen the Argyle trailer more times than you could possibly imagine. And all I was going to say is it's weird to see the Argyle trailer, which features an Elvis song before an Elvis movie, which features no Elvis songs. So I was like, well, at least my fine trip to the theater um, had that one little bit of Elvis in it. Um, and it's just bizarre. But uh yeah, uh, hopefully there's a lot more good art house movies coming because I do not want to see Argyle. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, who is going to watch this movie? It just doesn't. And uh, maybe if you like any of those actors, that's the only thing I can think of. Because I was like, this cast is amazing. If you had just named all these mm. actors, I'd be like, sure, I'll go see that movie. Not knowing what it's about. and But <laughs> but now we know too much. <laughs> all right. So I think yeah, we're ready to, to move into talking about Priscilla. So we'll start with our short takes. So, Greg, what was your general reaction to Priscilla? Obviously, you recommended it for our Thanksgiving episode. Uh, so I'm assuming your short take is fairly positive. Uh, but yeah, tell us tell us your general impressions. Yeah. So um, I'm going to bundle in um, my general Sofia Coppola feelings, which is like... Uh, she's one of those directors where I'm like, yeah, I kind of like her. And then I go through and I'm like, Oh, I've actually seen like most of her movies and I tend to go see them all in the theater. So I think I'd underappreciated kind of how much I care about um, Sofia Coppola as, as I thought about this, uh, it made my Thanksgiving list. Um, you know, people who've listened to this episode can tell I took the assignment as written, which was how do you please the crowd of your family? And I thought a lot about my family and um, this seemed like a, something that would please a large, swath of them it's kind of an interesting story my family likes history a lot see literally all my picks except i think super mario brothers but let's call that history um and so i thought this was pretty good and it was a pretty good sofia coppola movie um uh but it is not a Baz Luhrmann movie and it is not you know an elvis movie it is a priscilla story and um, I think people uh, I, I think what made me like it is it's got a couple great performances. It tells a side of this story that was something new to me instead of just kind of your your familiar uh, music biopic. And um, it uh, just, you know, struck me. I, you know, I, I would not say I left. I like 
teared up or was upset at all at, at any time. But like, you know, the story of a woman cast in this way and kind of controlled in this way was really compelling. And, you know, the kind of thing we should be interrogating about all sorts of fame and not even just problematic famous figures, but um, that's what got it on my list. I definitely thought like if I had my afternoon, uh, you know, the Friday afternoon on, on Thanksgiving weekend where maybe some family members went out shopping and everybody's looking to just do something lazy, I'd be like, yeah, let's go uh, to this one. Cause most people will enjoy it. Adults, not, not kids. Kids will be bored out of their skulls. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So my short take is basically that I was, locked into this movie and what it was doing for about the first half just about definitely the first act maybe spilling over into the second act and i feel like it captures this mood so well and especially the isolation that it seems like priscilla experienced as a 14 year old girl sort of living in graceland and you know wait just waiting at the window for elvis to come back from touring or going on a, a film shoot or something like that and so i feel like it captured the sort of isolation uh in of her sort of being in this huge house and being so young and how bizarre that whole situation was which i don't know if i want to get like explain what the whole situation was because that you know that that wouldn't be a spoiler necessarily because it's based on um their biographies but (laughs) but 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 if you haven't if you don't if you don't know anything about the story like and you want to see the movie that that is part of kind of the the shock of it where you're just like really like this is how they met and how they got together and like this is so weird and so i feel like it captures that really well and just like i think it was i was listening to the film cast review and i think it's jeff canada said called the movie tactile and i feel like from a Mm. production standpoint like like material things are almost like their own characters in this movie in some ways, like the, the mm. in terms of how the camera treats them in a way that I think really contributes to the story uh, and is not just for show. It's like, it's, it's like all of her cause because, because so much of her character is sort of based on her, how she looked and how, how Elvis wanted her to look and like all that sort of stuff. And, and I, so I feel like the attention to detail about all that stuff was really amazing and the costumes and the set and just like, and even just the way that the, as I said, the camera sort of like frames all of these like fabrics and 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 objects and you know there's cars and like car, cars and <laughs> perfume bottles and and all the you know other bottles and <laughs> like uh, in, in a way that like I think really drew me in. Um, I'd say that sort of what kind of turned shifted my opinion of it and my engagement with it a little bit and at that kind of halfway point in the second act was it sort of seemed to be like yes we're really investing in capturing this feeling uh and this experience and her subjectivity and then it felt like it didn't know where to go from there um Mm. and in terms of telling priscilla presley's story i think it did a really really good job about her early like the early days of her relationship with elvis but then after like the build-up towards kind of the 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 falling out of their relationship, which I feel like that's not a spoiler. They like most people know that they got divorced or like their marriage <laughs> didn't, didn't go well. Um, and I feel like the ramping up to that felt a little incomplete to me or just like it didn't really know. It sort of like it, it, it rushed through sort of the second half of her story in a way that I was just mm. kind of like a little disoriented by. Um, 
and then, you know, that might be more about me, say more about me as a viewer than about the what the film, because I think the film might be not care about that. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the film might not be interested in telling sort of a, a whole arc of a story in a, in a sort of like structural way. And it might be more, hmm. more interested in sort of this mood that I'm talking about. Um, but that, that was sort of kind of like where it lost me a little bit was towards the end. Uh, that's really interesting. And, and it is funny to like, so carefully avoid spoilers when it is just history. Um, and, and a lot of people know, but I, I think you played it right, which is because like, again, like you're going here probably to learn some things about this relationship and how it's put together. Um, and I'll, I'll probably engage with those comments a little more once we are in spoilers, but I will say it is funny because there is a kind of grouping of films out at the moment that seem to have been heavily edited. And I would say the moment you're talking about, there is uh, like a segment in the back half of this film, which feels like it could have been an hour and got trimmed way down to some kind of use of montage and some other aspects that cover the ground, but very quickly. And, and that fits with um, a little bit of what we saw in the first half of the Marvels and maybe something else that's, you know, historical and, you know, about a famous general that's out in theaters right now. Um, and so I think <laughs> it's, it's kind of a funny thing, but it, to this film's credit, um, you know, for the recommendation algorithm, who, who should see this and so on. Wait, I got to pause for the sound effect. Don't I? <laughs> there we go. Now it's so for the, the recommendation algorithm, one thing that's a huge selling point for this movie. And again, why it got on my Thanksgiving list it's in and out in an hour 40, I want to say. It is pretty short, and it's really nice to go into one of these big biopics and not have to do hours and hours of work. I mean, uh, I think on this show, we are all fans of the long movie, and we all are signed up to watch the four-hour cut of Napoleon eventually on Apple TV. <laughs> but it's like in the middle of all those, um, I, I saw Priscilla, and I think, the next night went and saw the new hunger games, which clocks in at two thirty-seven, I think. Oof. And so I was like, you know, what's nice not having to plan my whole day around a movie or stay up into the bleak hours of the morning to, to see a movie. So, um, so recommendation algorithm, if you have somebody, or if you are somebody who's like, I'm tired of these long movies, uh, make short movies. Uh, absolutely. That Ryan Johnson was promoting a, a hat that was, uh, make movies short uh uh shorter uh and, and i'm, I'm there because I, I do think we you know there's there's space for the three-hour epic but sometimes it's great to just say like i got something to say i want to show you what life was like and and then i'm just going to get out and you know biopics run the risk of always choosing um they have to pick where to start and where to end because generally speaking they're not birth to death some are but uh you know um I think this movie chose that all kind of well and had a good length of stay. It didn't overstay its welcome, at least for me, though I see that what you're saying about some of the flaws. So for recommendation algorithm, I'd say that probably my number one criteria for who should go see this film is not even necessarily if you're a huge fan of Elvis, though I do want to talk about that factor. But if you're just a fan of the period of the 60s and 70s, because I feel like I was just blown away by the hair, the makeup, the costumes, everything looks like it's of that period or just is like so transporting. And there's even like sections where 
the camera work. And I think I was listening to something. I can't remember which podcast now. They were saying that that it looks like it was shot on film, but this was all shot digitally. And that how the how impressive. Mm-hmm. I think it was next best picture. How impressive that was. And and there are lots of parts of this film that look like it. It sort of like tries to recreate, not to the extent the holdovers does, but tries to recreate a little mm. bit of like what what something what footage would have looked like because I think there's a sequence in particular I'm thinking of where there's like a home camera involved, and and I feel like it just really captures the period super well. Um, and I was going back and forth. This one question I put in here was, do you have to be a Sofia Coppola fan to like this movie? I think for sure, if you already are a Sofia Coppola fan, you probably will like this movie because it has a lot of the similar touchstones i think and like it's definitely fits into her body of work though not unlike you i think i haven't seen a ton beyond loss in translation and maybe virgin suicides i don't know if i've seen a bunch of other <laughs> sophie a couple of movies uh so i think you're right and i really appreciated um sean fennessy on uh big picture was pointing out we celebrate male directors a lot and look who's speaking out loud right now i when wes anderson does the same old wes anderson thing i like throw a parade and do a dance in the streets and yet i don't think female directors often get extended that same credit and you know i think in exactly that same way this is sofia coppola doing sofia coppola and it's it's good right it's it's a new version of that and i think you're right to say i would i Actually, I don't think I've seen Virgin Suicides. Maybe we can cover her career between us, but not uh, <laughs> either of us at all. But um, I would go Lost in Translation to Mary Antoinette to this. And I think there's a real strong DNA there that is playing with some of these same themes. Um, this is sometimes called a gilded cage, uh, right? Uh, which is, mm. uh, you know, a, a woman seemingly in a life of luxury that um, is trapped in that life in certain ways. And that's that's really cool. And um, just because you shouted it out twice, um, the production design is incredible. So if you're just a person who likes fashion and you you know you kind of put the the old timiness on it or the the period vintage on it but it is just fun and it looks like a much more expensive movie than this is they seem as as far as i can tell they built graceland up outside of toronto because they weren't allowed to film there and uh just managed to kind of really create i I like your quote from canada of text a tactile because it is it from the opening shot which is um uh priscilla's bare feet in the deep plush of the carpet you're just like you you feel this movie and and i think that's all a credit to it and so even if you're like eh, the story eh, these figures i don't care so much it is worth kind of just in some of the kind of craftsmanship um it's worth looking at and and enjoying in fashion and makeup and hair which you know is not my bag but uh as the editor of a college fashion magazine i have to note that it is uh you know really uh fun to kind of languish in those areas so you get our stu- your students to listen to our podcast <laughs> oh absolutely yeah, lean into it um all right so i do want to talk about because on the thanksgiving episode i had said i would i will not take my mom to go see this movie guess what i did mm. this weekend i took my ah. mom to go see this movie <laughs> well it was more because so my um the other comp i'll say is if you really like the diana arc in the crown that this mm. actually has a lot in common. To me, sense. I saw a lot of parallels, especially the not the season that just dropped, but the previous season where they sort of show um, 
Diana getting married to Charles and sort of that, that same sense of isolation and kind of boredom and like nobody, she doesn't know what to do with herself and she doesn't know where to, no one, she doesn't fit in with anybody who's there and kind of like mm. showing that life. Uh, the Gilded Cage, I guess is, yeah, I really like that description of it. Um, I feel like if you like that, then you'll probably like this uh, or at least be interested in this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so I want to go back to this question of like, is this movie for Elvis fans? Because I initially was like, I shouldn't go take my mom to go see this because it is showing Elvis in like an unflattering light. It shows, mm. I think it treats him like a complex person who has issues and who, and so it doesn't totally vilify him. Like he's not like a mustache twirling villain in this, but you know, he's, it's not, it's it's not it's not uh particularly flattering in most cases uh, and so like do you feel like people who are very attached to elvis and his music and elvis as the pop culture icon like are they should they avoid this movie it's a really interesting question because if i loved elvis and i don't but if i did i would want to see jacob alordi's uh performance of him because it is worth seeing and it's so different than austin butler and um really good too like i mean i i'm not hating on austin butler so i think that would be really interesting but you are correct and and just to speak what we've maybe implied there's a reason why the estate is not engaging with this film, why they denied the rights to the music and, um, you know, even uh, spoke out against uh, the film. Um, and some of some of the Presleys have spoken out against the film um, or did. I don't know. I We got to unpack that more later. But yeah, um, we'll about I that think, later. put a pin in it. <laughs> put a pin in it. But I do think that it. I think this is a difference between how um, maybe our parents' generation and our generation uh, deal with fame, that mm. I think our generation is much more accepting of, I love that person, but they are probably deeply flawed, and I can still love their music and see the flaws and understand that people are complex, whereas... Um, at least I'm not going to speak to your mom. I think I've met her twice. She seemed lovely. But my parents, I know when I deal with it's like they had their people and those people were on a pedestal. And if they fell off the pedestal, then never would be spoken about again. But otherwise, it was like, nope, uh, don't want to hear it. Don't want to know about that. Don't care about what Kevin Spacey said. I really like K-Pax or whatever. Right. So um, uh, I, th I think that's kind of a difference and something that you know, would I take my Elvis loving parents to this? My parents don't care about Elvis, but would I probably not? But anybody our age and younger, I think we just we've had so many famous people disappoint us. We kind of deal with the complexity a little differently. How did it go? I, I mean, I'm more curious <laughs> than anything. <laughs> yeah. So so sh the, the TLDR, she didn't like the movie. Um, mm. She actually like made a thumbs down gesture when we were leaving. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't didn't seem to really be for the reasons that I thought because so when I when I asked if she wanted to go with me to see this movie I was already going with my neighbor shout out to Amanda who was like she she's the only one who wants to go see like but she went to see past lives with me she wanted to go see, I asked her if she wanted to go see Priscilla she's like yeah of course so like you know <laughs> shout out to her for being my <laughs> my uh um female directed movie uh indie movie buddy and she, like 
so I, I felt like I should ask her just in case. And but I gave her the full warning. I was like, look, this this movie is focusing on their relationship and it's told from Priscilla's perspective. It's, you know, it's a, a, supposed to be critical of Elvis and sort of like showing that maybe he was kind of a jerk. And like, so so I just want you to know that that's what the movie's going to be. And so, like, I don't want you to go mm-hmm. see this movie and then be mad. And she was like, no, no, I'll go see it. Like, that sounds interesting. And uh, so when we were leaving, she was like, that movie was not very good. And but it was because she mostly was complaining about how slow mm. the movie was. So she wasn't into the Sofia Coppola vibe. She wasn't she wasn't into the sort of soft, subtle, kind of lilting, sort of like contemplative, um, you know, the the sort of it was too quiet and too slow for her. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. she was like, I don't, I didn't really see like the point of the <laughs> point of most of the things that we like where she, she couldn't make sense of it because it was like too aimless kind of, yeah. and you know, like, as I mentioned earlier, like, you know, in certain parts towards the end, I, I, I ended up in that place a couple times, not to the extreme, but she was just kind of like, that was not a very good movie. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, but she wasn't like upset that they did Elvis wrong or something like that. She, mm, you know, interesting. Um, so I think so that made that kind of changed my mind about my statement that I made in the Thanksgiving episode, because I'm like, oh, like, well, if we because she also is like a huge history. She loves history and she loves kind of like the juiciness of history. And so I feel like from mm. that perspective, even if it was kind of critical of a musical artist that she really likes, like, I think she was interested. She was peaked. Her interest was peaked because she was like, oh, I want to know, like, what really happened or like what their lives were like. Right. So so I kind of have changed my mind. Like if you if you are that kind of person, I think you're you've nailed it where it's like if you are able to think of historical figures and ones that you like as complex humans. Right. That have some problems, then then I think you'll be fine. It's not going to really be super upsetting. And then you can always just go watch Baz Luhrmann's Elvis if, like, it's still there. It's still streaming. You need to I be uplifted uh, again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to be like, "Wow, Elvis! Elvis, what a performer!" Right? <laughs> but yeah. All right. So I think we're ready to move into the rhetorical situation. Normally, we do this after spoiler mode, but we felt like, you know, partly because it's hard, harder to spoil this movie, and I think a lot of the stuff that we would talk about the rhetorical situation, we'd end up talking about anyway later. Uh, so. I think we're going to do the rhetorical situation, a segment in which we look at a film through the lens of our academic experience. So in the teaching of writing, the rhetorical situation refers to any contextual factors that influence composing and interpretation. There are so many contextual factors. I mean, where do we want to start, Greg? Do you want to start with like, there's a whole other Elvis movie that just came out last year and that's kind of like bearing down on this a little bit. Um, or just like all the Elvis, all the Elvis factor in general, where do you want to start? Yeah, let's, uh, let's tackle the Elvis context first. Cause I, I do think that's a really interesting question. So, um, let me lay out how I view this narrative and then you offer your corrections or if you have no corrections, your interpretation of like why this happened. So, well, the narrative I saw is, you know, prior to the previous Elvis film, there was a huge amount of excitement. It's like Baz Luhrmann. It's going to be back to kind of Moulin Rouge Baz Luhrmann. Forget about all the kind of weird stuff he's done since then. We're we're going to get that thrill and that excitement kind of applied to a big flashy uh, story about Elvis. And then the narrative became, 
oh, this is actually about the colonel. <laughs> um, uh, and it's a really weird performance and it's kind of bad. And I would say the critic class turned on that movie opening weekend or prior to opening weekend and it never recovered. But then there was this kind of groundswell over the course of the year of, I think, it was assumed to be larger, largely older audiences kind of like loving that movie. And its final kind of reputation seems to be like actually kind of a crowd pleaser and something that people enjoyed despite not having a lot of success at the Oscars. I mean, it had certainly some meaningful nominations and all that. And so, and then in the context of that, I think Priscilla at first got this kind of like, oh, we're doing this again. And then the studio slash Sophia slash Priscilla Presley, the the living human, uh, living, yes, living human. um, uh, They kind of decided, well, let's really position this as the other side of the story. And I think when you get to the studio, it's they almost went for like a behind the curtain, e true Hollywood story angle where it's like, let's tell you the real story, the truth. And, I think all that is kind of interesting now that critics have seen this and and kind of reacted in a way close to what you said, which is like, well, if there's this is the real story. The real story is like, oh, a bunch of gross, creepy stuff happened and now we don't really care. So um, that's how I see the the kind of year in Elvis. Correct whatever you want, but then offer like, why did this happen in 2022 slash 2023? <laughs> that to me is a great question. I don't necessarily have a great answer to that, but there it does seem really weird and it might just be that like we're kind of slowly working our way through iconic musical artists and that like, you know, the ne- next next up is about the Michael Jackson biopic probably. I there's that's not mm. actually a thing that's happening. Like there're no reports <laughs> that that's in in development. I want to be clear about that. But you know what I mean? Like I feel like cuz there was a period it was a while ago, but where like the Beatles were like a like the Beatles one album came out and like there was the documentary, mm. the anthology series. Right. They released all their music. So it might just be that we're kind of like just working our way down the list. <laughs> He's like famous <laughs> musical artists, I guess. Um, but it is really interesting to think about like why Elvis and why now. And if I'd be curious to, to dig into the and I didn't I didn't do any research on this beforehand, but like dig into the. To, to see if the development of Priscilla overlaps with the development of uh, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, or if like one is actually a reaction to the other. Cause I feel like when you watch Priscilla, it feels like a response <laughs> to Baz mm-hmm. Luhrmann's Elvis um, to be like, well, like sort of, as you said, like to be like, well, like Baz Luhrmann's Elvis told one story, we're going to tell this other, this other side of the story that, that fewer people probably know about. And should know about, right? So, yeah, it's really interesting. I guess, and I think the the Priscilla's bio, Priscilla Presley's biography came out like in like 1985. So it's like the book has been around for a very long yeah. time. Um, so it's not like this is like a like no one knew this story at all, and it's just coming out now or something like that. But yeah, it does it does seem really interesting. I guess like what is it about Elvis? It must be something to do with Elvis's level of fame that somehow speaks to 2023. You know what I mean? Like the age, maybe it's like a reaction to the democratization of fame a little bit. Cause a, a lot of the podcasts mm-hmm. we like to listen to often lament the like death of the movie star. Right. And how like, Oh, like 
you know, you, social media influencers often have more sway than than movie stars now um or the, or they can have as much i guess as as movies whereas before yeah. it was like you had to be like an elvis or a, a you know a george clooney or something not that i don't want to like <laughs> the second i said that i'm like i probably shouldn't be putting <laughs> them on the same level exactly <laughs> it's like the uh, history hasn't borne that out yet um but you know what i mean like people who are so famous because of they're either an art they're an artist or an actor or something like that um that we live in an age where that's less likely to be true. And so maybe there's mm. some kind of weird, like now some, a story like Elvis is sort of a novelty, right? That's really an interesting thought. This is the rare extinct species that you can still view at this one uh, zoo or what have you uh, to, to kind of think that uh, because PT's not here. I have to do the like insider movie knowledge. Of course, the next biopic was going to be Madonna, but Madonna canceled it uh, at the last oh. minute, which was something that happened late this summer. I think like the actress had been training for months to sing Madonna and dance like madonna and madonna just at the last second was like nope we're not doing this and and canceled it all so um so so yeah that that would have been i think uh probably next year's oscar buzz um and and i do want to use that word in particular because i think the piece we're missing there is that bohemian rhapsody was a huge oscar success and probably more importantly a huge box office success which still I do not understand. And, you know, we can sometime do an episode. I know PT's dying for an episode of like Oscar's biggest mistakes. But the fact that Bradley Cooper got turned over for uh, Rami Malik, who didn't even sing as Freddie Mercury, uh, is still just mind boggling mm -hmm. to me. And, and I don't understand how that happened. So I think you're right that that kind of commercial idea. And, you know, this is also the same moment where a lot of Broadway shows are popping up that are doing the like catalog musical, I think it's called where you just buy a band and you tell an original story or the story of the band or singer or what have you by just using their music. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it is kind of a version of the IP grab where it's like people will show up for Elvis and uh, for the Beatles or what have you, um, even if it's it's not the same thing. So I'm going to selfishly then transition over to my question in the rhetorical situation, which is we have seen I, I mean, it. Bohemian Rhapsody is not the first, but it is kind of the big one in this modern wave of just a huge number of music biopics. And so when I teach rhetorical situation in class, I spend a lot of time talking about genre because genres are things students are familiar with from their Netflix queue, from the library bookshelves. Haha, <laughs> we'll pretend they go to the library. But uh, they um, are are familiar with this kind of idea of genre as a uh, uh, category of art or or text or what have you and i always can you know build on that understanding for students by talking about genre in academic context and it's like yes you were told the five paragraph mm -hmm. argumentative essay was the only thing you'd ever need to write again but what if we think about that as a genre and a genre that is meant to have certain um, so I, I teach genre as a constellation of conventions, which comes from Aristotle, I think. And it is it's like there are certain things that make a genre and we need some of those things, some essential characteristics to recognize it. And then genres are interesting because they add to that. And I, I like the constellation metaphor because a constellation is a group of like six stars. And then we add the meaning that turns that into Leo the lion or, or what have you. So. 
we can look at this genre as a kind of intersection of the conventions that have to be in a biopic and also what we all bring to them. And what is it we are looking for in a biopic? Because it seems like we're not going to stop getting these. And and it can be a little different when it's music versus history. You know, again, I, I have seen Napoleon, Jenna's not, so I won't compare and contrast. But these questions are on my mind. Like, we're going to keep seeing these movies. What what are we looking for? What are the audience expectations on something like this? I mean, I think there are multiple answers to that question. I think to go back to your example of Bohemian Rhapsody, I think the only explanation for why that movie did so well is because it had a ton of Queen songs in it at full blast <laughs> in a movie theater and people could rock on even if the the story did if the editing was not very good and the story didn't quite make sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like um and Rami Malek wasn't singing. He was just wearing some teeth, right? Uh, you know, if you really like Queen, which I did. And I think when my first watch of that movie, I wasn't so bothered by a lot of its flaws. I was just like, yeah, I can bop my head to, you know, Killer mm. Queen or whatever it is, right? And, and uh, or, or I guess the titular Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm trying to think of like what the best <laughs> song was in, in that uh, in that one. But, you know what I mean? And I, and I feel like there's a certain thrill to that. And so like, I think that, I would say was also true of Baz Luhrmann's Elvis where it's Mm. like, Oh, what song's going to come up next? But then for me, it's also the origin story part of it, because I think a lot of people enjoy and consume an artist's work, but they don't necessarily know the biographical details behind it. Right. So for, for Elvis, it was his roots with, which like, you know, your mileage may vary on how well this was represented, but but you, the Baz Luhrmann's movie starts with his roots in um, the gospel, uh, gospel music, and uh, the blues, right? And how you know, like lots of people argue that that he ap- culturally appropriated all that music, uh, and then Mark and then made a, a bunch of money because he was white, and like, <laughs> like so people suddenly were listening. <laughs> the movie deals with that like a tiny bit, I feel like, but probably not yeah. enough. Um, uh, or at least that was a big criticism of it. I remember at the time, but. But the key thing is, like, if people like Heartbreak Hotel or Suspicious Minds, all of these, like, huge hits that he had, Viva Las Vegas, right? There are lots of phases. It's like Taylor Swift. He's got eras. Um, (laughs) But what, you know, what people might not know is that when he was a kid, he listened to a lot of gospel music because based based on where Mm. he grew up. And, the you know, the movie can share that sort of backstory with us in a way that a lot of people can find enjoyable and actually and this might be crude to compare it but it actually is a little bit like a superhero movie like those the superhero Mm. origin story movies where it's like oh this is how spider-man became spider-man right there's a certain pleasure in knowing where something came from um and so i feel like to me that's a big appeal of the biopic i think when biopics aren't working it's because they're trying to go cradle to grave i would say Mm. actually that's that's sort of what the big problem with Baz Luhrmann's Elvis was that it was too comprehensive. Like it tried to cover too many, it had too many ideas and tried to cover too many things. Um, yeah. And, and I would say like, obviously Priscilla is way more focused. And I think that's why as a biopic, it's, it works a lot better, but I would say that actually to go back to my short take criticism, like the back half of it that I feel like is a little rushed, I think is because they felt like they had to get to a certain part of her life to make it feel complete. Um, whereas if they really had just, if they had found a way to end the movie earlier in her timeline when she was still young, you know what I mean? Like before Mm. things started to, to take a turn or whatever, right. Then maybe it would have felt like a more complete 
story to me. I don't know. What do you think, Greg? Yeah. I mean, you said so much there that I think is really smart and dead on. And I'm going to summarize some of it by saying, like, I do think that there's a huge piece of this that is essentially nostalgia. And I, you know, because it's Elvis and I think of the generation that loved Elvis or the Beatles, you know, I think those are slightly different generations. But to me, it's just people older than me. Um, (laughs) There's a Beatles joke in Priscilla. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. Um, So I think, you know, there is a nostalgia to like, I want to have the pleasures of of hearing that music again, like you're saying, of bobbing your head. And, and, you know, for us, that's probably more like listening to it with our parents in the car or something like that. Um, and, and feeling that. And, and I do think that's a huge driver in a lot of these films. And then the opposite of that is the, tell me what I don't know about this. And this is again, just summarizing what you said. And so it's, it's really interesting that you have those two competing dynamics. It's like, confirm to me that what I loved is still Mm. good. And also tell me what I don't know about it. And those can be really opposed. And I would say this film in the context of that struggle, I think didn't please a lot of people because it wasn't enough of the Elvis story to feel nostalgia. And maybe what you're saying, um, you know, keeping it broad still, because you just masterfully avoided spoilers, so I can't blow it now, is that, you know, there's not a lot that goes beyond the public record of their marriage in a lot of ways. There's a little, I'm not going to totally dismiss that, but it isn't like you said, the origin story. And, And I think your comparison is apt because, a figure like Elvis seems superhuman, seems like he does great feats that nobody could possibly a- attain. And so we do want to kind of unlock, like, how was it that person? And, you know, there are s- been so many that I was just thinking about Rocket Man, which I think I saw opening weekend and then haven't thought about ever again. And, and Rocket Man did a lot of that where it felt like this is a person like who descended from heaven. And it's just like incredible, the talent that Elton John has. And then it's like, okay, move on. <laughs> <laughs> like so so we did want to unlock where that comes from and and I think you're right. Um the the only other piece I want to put in play because I hear so many critics um make this point um across all the different critics I read and listen to. Um and it's the Dewey Cox point, which is uh, a few years ago, Walk Hard by Dewey Cox came out. And it is, <laughs> uh, I did not see it when it came out. I saw it finally. I was like, so many people have mentioned this. I got to see it. But it is like the perfect spoof uh, of these films. And it just decimates the genre. <laughs> like it just, every single bit of that film is just spot on parody of all of those things that are really cloying and terrible in these movies. And and that's not to dismiss the genre. There are a lot of these good genres. So into that mix of like, are we looking for nostalgia? Are we looking for, for the behind the scenes? Then you add in, now these films have to do something that breaks out of that mold or else they're just going to get made fun of and do something different. And I think um, I, I saw the, the David Bowie um, documentary last year Um in calling it a documentary doesn't really capture it. Um, it, it was a moon age daydream. Uh, I'll look up the title in a, right. a moment. Um, it was phenomenal. I 
am not somebody who does uh, recreational substances, but I'm like, man, I wish I was on some <laughs> recreational substances for this uh, because I think it would have elevated the experience. <laughs> but um, it to me was like, we can't do the standard biopic anymore. And it had to break that out. And it was trying to do something really different while still using archival documentary footage and performances and kind of walking you through the career of Bowie. But it was like, really much more uh much bigger than than that so i do think priscilla strikes me as the kind of biopic where it's like we had to break totally out of the the mode and and it is a movie about priscilla not elvis i just don't want to lose sight of but we still don't know exactly what that's going to be and and the reason i asked this question in the the outline is because this is the movie i've been to in the last easily five years where the most people have walked out of kind of girlfriends on a seemingly like girlfriend outing um uh, a very funny young couple that walked out um and i assumed they were walking out um and then the the uh husband or boyfriend came back because his keys had fallen out of his pocket and was digging around in the sea for his keys and then left up Awkward. so so that was shocking to me um it's only an hour and 40 minutes, but that told me people are not getting what they want. And I think your comments about your mom's reaction help illuminate that. Maybe it was just too still and slow for some of them. But my my gut was they wanted an Elvis story, and this is not yeah. Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, and so they're bored and <clears throat> just want to go. Or maybe they wanted the Baz Luhrmann version of Priscilla. You know what I mean? Like maybe yeah. they wanted to see more of her taking like like having like attitude and like you know putting on the eyeliner but being sassy and empowered like that's not this movie right um it is very kind of still and quiet and introspective and melancholy um mm. because you just you know it's everything everything that could be glamorous is sort of cast over with a shadow and and so, yeah, maybe they were hoping for kind of the glitzy, fun time version of the story. Uh, I think it wasn't your letterbox review. Shout out to the women in my row who thought this was going to be a romance. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, no, was it was a uh, shout out to the women who took way too long because oh. I, I, had, I had some like, I again, I'm stereotyping. I'm a terrible person. Let's all say it. I had some Jacob Elordi fans in my row. And so as soon as he started appearing as Elvis, it was like, a, ooh, like, you know, if, if, that would be if they were on a sitcom. But I it mean, was essentially he that. Is, he, we haven't talked about this yet. He is a very good Elvis. That's what yeah, I was actually he's, really surprised he's by. He's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's really a total good. dreamboat. I mean, he's a good looking guy and people should see Saltburn too because you're like, oh, I, I get it. I'm, I totally understand uh, the kind of worship of him. Um, and so then like, I, I'm just like deep in the movie, like an hour in when everybody else is like, oh, wow, her life was terrible. He'd like, you know give her flowers or something and they'd be like oh like he's still a goodie and i'm like he just slept with ann margaret he's not a good guy and you know um honestly this is the last thing i'll say it reminded me <laughs> when the the trump locker room talk thing happened and so many female voters were like yep that's just what guys are like i was like 
no. Like, and if your guy is like that, no, like get away from him. Like, and so it felt to me like, is this the very low bar men in this country have set that like, okay, you can go sleep with Anne Margaret, but Hey, uh, bring her flowers after buy her a gun after, and it'll all be forgiven. So, uh, so yes, sorry. I totally forgot about them. Um, but that is my rant on, you know what that reminds me of? And this is, this is a tangent, but I think it's a good one. Um, so Disneyland a while ago had a live show version of Frozen, and mm. uh, we I, the the time I went to go see it, there were people in the audience. I, I I it was far enough away that I don't know. I can't just say anything about their age or their gender. They sounded like girls, probably, but like you know, I don't know. <laughs> and like the part where and i guess spoilers for frozen um so fast forward if you somehow haven't seen frozen and don't want to know what happens um but the part where like is it han hans like but the 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 prince that turns out to be bad yeah like there's an early song where like he and anna are like falling in love and they're being very cutesy with each other and stuff like that these people in the audience went oh like <laughs> at the end of that song and i'm like yo you've seen the movie you know what happens like why are you why are you happy about this like this doesn't make any sense like clearly if you're like reacting that strongly you're a fan of frozen like and chances are yeah and, like i'm gonna assume most people seeing that live show have seen the movie and so it was yeah. just mind-boggling to me that like even knowing that he's the villain of the movie they were still like swooning <laughs> this scene this meet cute and so maybe that's a little bit of it i don't know uh and like you know this movie does really in interesting ways engage with the idea of teenage girl fantasies i would say Mm. um and i won't say more because that might be spoilers but yeah we should unpack that um, in spoilers but but that being said from the moment the romance starts and you're like she's 14 this is no go no bueno and yet oh look he's oh he opened the door for i'm like he opened the door for a child sorry i'll stop yelling but yes (laughs) (laughs) we tried we Uh. tried really hard everybody we tried (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we tried preserve it but if you're still listening like you're probably okay with us like you know, telling, talking yeah. more about the premise. The Again, premise these the are movie. these are the public knowledge bits. So That's, yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, okay, let's go to. Do spoilers. you feel like? Yeah, let's go to spoilers. We are that. This is a sign. We should take this as a sign. Yeah. So if you have not seen Priscilla, and apparently Frozen, uh, <laughs> then, <laughs> then you should not pro- not proceed. Uh, we, you know go see the movie you know the movie is definitely worth seeing uh, and i would say now definitely. i would change my position that if you are an elvis fan i think it is worth seeing because it's it's worth knowing this piece of his history through priscilla perspective um and then come back and join us for the rest of the conversation <laughs> All right, so I think we should start with, since we are already bumping up against it and starting to talk about it, like, how does this film portray Elvis? And, like, how bad is it? Because we sort of, we've been tiptoeing around it, we've been alluding to it, let's actually get into it, like, how is Elvis portrayed in this movie? You know, Jem, boys will be boys, and we should just (laughs) excuse, uh, no, um, all right, so, I think, here's my problem, the, the, estate is pissed off because they show Elvis doing drugs and sharing drugs, particularly pills with Priscilla 
from pretty early in their relationship. I'm not sure exactly. She might have still been a minor. It's when and they're in Germany. They're, they're still in oh, Germany. Oh, yeah, that's right. And she's yeah. he's like, take this. They give this to us in the army to stay awake during fights. Like, and so that's you right. Have to go wake up to go to high school tomorrow. You can take yeah. this so you can stay awake. <laughs> um, um, so that's what the estate is mad about. And I would say that is like 50th on my list of things. So I, I'm going to just give the broad. And it's also in Baz Luhrmann's movie. There, it's yeah, not like pills I mean, aren't in Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. If you like Elvis, you know he did drugs. Like, I'm sorry, you just know this. So, um, so my my kind of broad strokes will be: this presents Elvis as a deeply flawed man who turns those energies into the manipulation of Priscilla. And I would not always say he's conscious of what he's doing, but what he is doing is grooming a 14-year-old girl and transforming her into a fantasy that he gets to put on a shelf and literally, in some cases, never touch, never engage with. And she becomes a, a toy in his collection, right? A car that he puts in the garage with his money and is just totally, you know, uh, treated she's she's objectified in the very literal sense she is turned into an object not a human being and so um he comes off as just a total creep and total weirdo uh throughout even if i will give the slight out that he's not conscious of the choices he's making but you loved him in this go on <laughs> um, so I guess I should I should have mentioned this earlier, but I actually do really like Elvis Elvis's music. Like I I and mm. that's in part because of my the influence of my mom. My dad is is a huge Beatles fan. My mom is a huge Elvis fan. My dad is also actually a huge Elvis fan. I think they the their their wedding like their wedding song was um the really slow like wise men sing only fools fools Russian only fools Russian fools. I guess is maybe yeah I yeah can't I help think that was. Love. Yeah, I don't know you. the title, but I could I could just jump ahead in the lyrics for you. <laughs> um, you know, so so like it's been a big part of uh, like I grew up I grew up on Elvis's music, and, and you know I'm a huge fan of Lilo and Stitch. We got to shout that out. Which apparently Jacob Bellorti, mm-hmm. I didn't read up on this, made a joke that like he learned his Elvis how to do his Elvis accent <laughs> from Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> but I That's think amazing. I was like oh, I was like respect. I respect you a lot more now. And sort of like sniping at uh, Austin Butler potentially. Uh, the two of them need to be at the Oscars. Sorry, like this is a tangent, yeah. but like That's we need a that, presenting. That needs... Yeah, yeah. And there needs to be a, like an awkward like, oh, you were Elvis too joke. Like, like that. It needs to happen. Um, but yeah. So so anyway. So you know, it's not like I didn't have any skin in this game. Like I do enjoy his music a lot. And but like the thing I think I didn't realize before I watched this movie or even or heard about this movie at all was that they were she was 14 when they met and basically like like a handler picked her up at this diner right and so i feel like this movie does such an amazing job of capturing just the how bizarre and just twisted this situ, whole situation is mm-hmm. and like how no one should really have been okay with this i mean obviously it was a different time and so this sort of thing probably was more acceptable but like you know for sure 120 percent. like if this is happening in 2023 like no like people are getting arrested yeah right so like, <laughs> like um <laughs> and and i think it really showed that like he didn't want elvis didn't want a partner 
he wanted a doll right and like so the and that's the other thing i didn't realize is that like he's really controlling every inch of her existence i think the moment for me i mean there's a lot of bad like creepy stuff that happens way before this but for me it was when he's like telling her what to wear and that she's not allowed Mm. to wear patterns and that she has to wear blue and then when she's like but i like this one and he just like totally doesn't care yeah it's just like yeah i was like oh no like this is and, and you're and so so i want to go back to the 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 family controversy because it's lisa marie presley who is has now passed away but when she was still alive was protesting this movie and sort of like really mm. criticizing it and she i believe the movie hadn't been filmed yet but it was like the she had read the screenplay and was very upset and sort of saying that like this is not my father and like this and like and the quote i thought was really interesting what she said i am worried she meaning priscilla her mom doesn't understand the intentions behind this film or the outcome it will have um yeah and so what's interesting is that this question of like how the film is representing elvis i think is actually more open to debate than you and i kind of reacted to the movie because i feel like there, then there was this whole discourse of Priscilla being like, no, really, like he was very respectful, like because I was so young, like he wanted to make sure that like he didn't do anything that he, you know, mm-hmm. that until I, we were married and like all that sort of stuff. And so I feel like that's that, which is that is in the movie, but it's such a drop in the bucket in terms of like all the other stuff that's going on. And so like it kind of to me, it's like I can sort of see people pointing to, oh, like he like respected her and like they didn't have sex until they were married or like until she was older or whatever. But there's so much else going on around that that it almost doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like in terms of their dynamic together Um, and grooming is the good word, right? Like, cause it's like, yeah, just the idea that he's like, go wait, like the, my go to the room, the second door on the right upstairs and wait for me there. Like that Mm -hmm. just like feels really creepy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, there's so much there. So, you know, I I'm not going to begrudge Lisa Marie Presley, especially after she has now passed the right to defend her father and that representation. But you pointed to the language in that quote that really makes it feel kind of demeaning to Priscilla. Like it sounds like Priscilla is being taken advantage of. Now, I do not know the ins and outs of these people and who where they are today. But I have been led to understand by coverage of this film that these are the roles they tend to play, which is Lisa Marie is the guardian or excuse me, was the guardian of Graceland and of the trust and of all the the estate. And so has to protect that and kind of vanguard the legacy of um, of of Elvis, whereas Priscilla is free of all that for reasons the film shows because she left their their marriage ended. And so had the freedom to speak out. And it doesn't sound to me like Sophia invented anything that wasn't in the biography in the 1980s, like you said. But I do think it is a film with a modern sense of these things. And and to, to pull in, you left a thought in rhetorical situation, which was very good, which is this movie does an outstanding job of showing, not telling, which is the phrase and tattooed on the brain of every writing teacher of all time. And it, it, everything you just said, like 
it is just a creepy like handler who clearly had the job of finding young women and bringing them to Elvis's house for him to to look at and enjoy the company of young women and in the movie doesn't like have him get called out and have a confrontation where the dad punches him and says how dare you with my daughter the film just puts the facts out there and lets you draw your interpretation and it's really well done in that regard so i think that that in some ways proves Lisa Marie's thing. Like it is way more damaging to look at this in the harsh light of the present day. And it does do damage to my personal impression of Elvis, but that doesn't mean it's wrong or shouldn't be said. And again, I want to tread very carefully, but just because a marriage is this flawed and this problematic in so, so many regards doesn't mean that there wasn't love there. And it doesn't mean that that child isn't a valued and wonderful human being that resulted from that. And that's kind of killers of the flower moon too, right? Like Ernest was awful, but there was real love between Ernest Mm -hmm. and Molly. And it's, there's kind of just this similar vibe here of like, you can have somebody who is deeply flawed and inflicts those flaws on somebody else. And yet that doesn't mean there's not love and affection there. I mean, Priscilla drives that Cadillac out of that uh, yard with great glee and should have, but you know, there's a reason why the song playing, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but the song playing is Dolly Parton's I will always love you. And it's beautiful because it's like, she will always love him for who he was in the life they had and all those things. And so the fact that, me, John Q knows nothing about Elvis can have all that complexity in mind, I think speaks to the power of the film and undercuts Lisa Marie's argument about it. Yeah. And like, there's, there's a line in this where she says, if I don't leave now, I'm never going to leave, which I believe is the one line that actually exactly overlaps with the Baz Luhrmann film. Cause there's that mm. scene where that's the scene in the hotel room where she basically shows up to tell him that they're getting divorced and she's leaving him and and he's like i should have seen this coming so like i that is where i was like the multiverse is colliding (laughs) (laughs) Um, because it like i it reminded me so much of, of the other movie um but i think the yeah and it's it, I don't know. And it shows, I, I mentioned earlier about how this, this movie engages with sort of the, the trope of like teenage girls fantasies. Right. And you know, the, the, the line where the, 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 the creepy guy who like seems to not care to be a chaperone at all. Right. Like he's like, Oh, she'll be full of chaperone by my wife and I, and they just mm. like peace out after <laughs> like they're, they're not paying <laughs> attention at all. Um, yeah. Which I'm sure is by design, I guess, but the, but but he says do you like elvis and she goes of course like who doesn't right and so mm. the and i think the movie does such a good job of showing that like she has to lead this double life of like she's still a teenage girl who's a fan of elvis but also has to be be this like very mature romantic partner for elvis that gets kind of swept up and so like in the contrast between like her parting with the uh, i think people call it the memphis mafia like the, the yeah. entourage of like all of elvis's friends that he goes and hangs out the with the dude bros like, yeah 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 the fact that she like gets like they the contrast between showing her trying to keep up with them and hanging out with them and then cut to she's sitting at a desk in like a school uniform 
trying not to fall mm. asleep, like I thought was so powerful because it really showed that like, yeah, she had to somehow like they still had her going to school because her parents were like, you can't go to Memphis unless you graduate from high school. Right. And so yeah. she, like she's just living this double life in a way that that Elvis doesn't have to. Right. Because um, Elvis gets to kind of freely dip in and out of their relationship and and but she has to kind of like deal with this duality of like her being a child who has to graduate from high school but then also elvis's girlfriend somehow um and yeah i think that was probably my favorite part of the movie yeah that was the weirdest season of alias uh where no (laughs) i mean it feels it feels like that kind of spy thriller (laughs) almost like you're saying with that double life um I, I I agree. And I, I I don't think I'd thought about it, but that was probably my favorite part of it, too. And and to fold in two things you've said now, um, the the idea of somebody's um, monstrousness or virtue coming down to just sex is really interesting here, because I think you're right. It, we go to pains to make it clear they're not having sex and they are only kissing until she's of age. And I believe until they're married. And um, she in the beautiful teen girl part of it is like horny because she's a teen girl and is with Elvis all the time and wants to sleep with him. And so it's it was really refreshing to actually feel the sexual coercion going the opposite way. And in that no way challenges how monstrous his behavior was because that's the truth. Like sex is just one tiny part of the kind of toxic domestic relationships that we interrogate. And I think society tends to focus in on that and like, Oh, he never crossed that line. So he's okay. The end. And and it sounds like Priscilla in the book and, and in her talk here, you know, kind of ascribed to that. Like he was a gentleman. And it's like, no, he wasn't a gentleman because being a gentleman means listening to your partner. And if again, if it's legal, I'm not endorsing anything other than that, but like giving into their needs as well as yours. And what is clear in the film is that the entirety of literally everything in his life, but their relationship is on his terms. And she is in no way a human who can express her own desires or if she wants to make out if she wants to the, to do things and the one time that she asked he asked her opinion the one time he asked what did you think about the song and she says i don't th- i don't know if i liked it <laughs> is when he throws a chair at the wall you know what i mean like so yes like she's, she's like she's n- not allowed to be her own person um mm-hmm. which is why i think it's so powerful the one thing i did like about the ending was like the actual terms in which she left right where she's like um i'm not leaving you for another man i'm leaving you for a life of my own and i feel like that the film does such a good job of demonstrating the need for that right how she never had that when she was with him um which is yeah so fascinating and like and like even where the part that well the many things cracked me up with this movie actually um the gun joke that we made at the very beginning (laughs) <laughs> where she she just like and again this is like showing not telling which for the people i went to the movie with was very frustrating but uh, but i mm. as you know as a writer i definitely respected and like the she's just laying these outfits on the bed and then there's a gun that is perfectly color coordinated and matching <laughs> to each outfit on the bed and it's just like then there's nothing is said about it right and there's so many moments mm-hmm. where nothing is said about anything right and yet 
like and that was actually the criticism of um, my neighbor and my friend Amanda who saw the movie with me she was like I just wanted to get to know her more I wanted mm. I wanted to know who she was as a person and I feel like since she didn't say anything the whole movie I didn't get that opportunity now a lot of critics would say that her Kaylee Spaney's performance is so internalized and that she's doing so much with her expressions and and stuff like that 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 there there's an you could argue there's enough there. Um, but I would actually say that that's a deliberate choice on the movie's part, that it's like yeah. she didn't get to be a person. So we don't get to know her because she didn't she wasn't she didn't get to know herself. Right. Like she didn't get to develop her own identity. She was always sort of defined by her relationship with Elvis. I, I think that's exactly right. And that I. I wouldn't even feel like I was building a stretch of a defense by saying that. Like the point of the story is the way he manipulated her. She was not a real human. And, you know, again, I, I'm going to completely agree that the last 20 minutes are a little rocky. Um, I, I, the end is pretty flawless. What's going on with the karate instructor? The like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the part we were referencing in the spoiler free zone. It's like, that just feels like it was chopped up. Like somebody decided we need to get to the gate and yet we have to rush to get there. And, you know, that's around the time we've got like, the like third or fourth time the tabloids are saying Elvis is sleeping with somebody or engaged to somebody and, and she just has to ignore it. And so I think all that um, is, is hard to deal with there, but it, it was a like, Stella gets her groove back montage where it's like middle-aged lady learns to be herself. She's going to do karate. Now she's going to have her own garden. And I was like, um, this is the seventies thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's exactly what I was going to say is it turns into a hair story. It's like that mm-hmm. her natural hair color comes back and she goes from the fifties beehive to what I would call the seventies Farrah Fawcett, like, you know, kind of curls. The long. And, and well, she, well, she waves, has the long straight curls, hair before that. She has the yeah, long straight yeah. hair before that, right? Yeah. That's right. Um, um and and like the film is so good because, you know, obviously um Kaylee Spaney is like a beautiful actress. And it's like she looks like a child and like mousy and cute. And the, and I mean, she's always the same age. They don't have multiple actresses, which is just incredible. And then you see the transformation into the Priscilla we know. And it's like, it's so artificial and like, she's still beautiful underneath all that, but you just, you're so mad because you're like, she was so beautiful before. And so then the end feels like, oh, okay. She found herself again and having everything reinforced that. Um, it, it worked. It's just, it, I don't even know that I want it to have taken more time there. It's just that it, it doesn't always feel like we got the full arc. It's just it's clearly to me that Sophia Coppola had this image to, I need to end the movie where these gates that have been in the background and have been keeping out the world finally open and she's free at the end of the movie. And that involved kind of yada, yada, yada like a decade or so. And it's really hard to piece together if you don't really know this story. Right. And actually, that's what I want to ask you, too, is like, do you feel like it was helpful to have seen Baz Luhrmann's Elvis just purely from a timeline perspective? <laughs> uh, yes. Although, again, I, I mean, I love my life and I have no regrets. But when I see these movies like opening weekend and then consume five podcasts that week and then don't think about them for a year and a half, it's not like it's very present in my mind. Um, so I was glad for that, but I would not claim I had 
total ownership of that. I think on the basic level, this movie just wants you to know he's off living a glamorous rock star lifestyle, movie star lifestyle, and she just is locked in the house. And that's kind of the point. So, so which album and which TV special and which time, blah, 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 doesn't matter as yeah. much. But I do think if I had only seen this and had no clue what was going on, I would have been frustrated. So it it has to be the most fascinating double feature of the last couple of years uh, to play one and then the other. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I would I would recommend watching both because I feel like they are one shades in the other. You know what I mean? Like, because mm. I feel like if I hadn't seen the Baz Luhrmann film and known about the Colonel, which I didn't. Yeah. Um, and then those phone calls that he's making don't mean as much. I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know the context mm-hmm. of like, and like, but, and to me, the funniest moment in this movie was when she's like, I hate, she comes out and she says like, I hate these philosophy books and like all this like stuff that you're doing. <laughs> you got to stop. And he just totally dismisses her and gets mad. And then like two seconds later, they show him on the phone with the Colonel being like, okay, okay, Colonel, I'll put away the okay. books. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> like, and then they show him burning the books and she's just, and the look on her face says everything where she's just like, are you serious? Like you're going to listen to him and not me. Um, Whereas I've been telling you to do this this whole time. Right. That's that old adage of hurt people, hurt people. Right. It doesn't excuse his behavior, but it just shows that he is putting her in the exact kind of cage he's in. And and what I do remember about the Baz Luhrmann movie is while it is really glamorous, it's essentially all about how Elvis was never in control of his own choices and destiny. And so that there is a nice resonance between the two there. But sorry. Yeah, it's interesting that like they mention he's like. My daddy knows all the, I have him, I'll do all the accounts, right? Like, and that's a whole plot line in the other movie, yeah. right? Like, of like, of how he mismanaged, like Elvis assumed everything was being taken care of and his dad was actually mismanaging all his money, right? So, um, but, yeah. and also learned listening to the Colonel and like, like the whole complex of his, of his finances and the money he was making. And, and like the movie really, Baz Luhrmann's movie really presents him as a victim, right? Like that he was basically worked to death. Because too many people were profiting off of him that despite his health problems, they sort of kept pushing him, pushing him to keep performing. Um, or at least that's what the movie implies, right? And so like to it's really yeah. interesting to pair that with this, where it's like he's the one, he's the he's not he's definitely not a victim in this movie. He might be a victim of his own fame, right? Like I think the movie is a little bit forgiving in terms of like trying to show that that this lifestyle of having to go on all these tours and all these shoots could have informed the way that he treated Priscilla. Right. Um, yeah. But, but obviously, yeah, I just said, it doesn't excuse it. Um, but yeah. So yeah, I almost thought it was like, I don't like how much of the movie would I just have missed if I hadn't known the other history that Baz Luhrmann was trying to tell. Mm. Right. Interesting question. I'm like, it's the, it's the, the Elvis cinematic universe. Um, <laughs> you need to watch all of it. Yeah, well, the one thing we haven't talked about that I just want to shout out, uh, I don't even have anything that intelligent to say about it, but um, one aspect of this that is incredible is the physicality of just putting Kaylee Spaney and Jacob Elordi on screen to, again, very attractive people, two vastly different heights. So yes. um, Kaylee Spaney is 5'1", and Jacob Elordi is 6'5", which means that is more than Elvis and Priscilla. There was a large height gap between them. Um, Priscilla is a petite woman. But the the way that like 
in just they they look like they can be happy and in love and they look totally glamorous kind of coming out of Vegas casinos and all that. But when they need to flip it to kind of a kind of power dynamic or Elvis threatening her, it's like you're like she had no choice. Like this this is a, a, a huge man just crush about to crush her and um you know obviously that has to do with casting. I can't imagine they were cast for their heights, but it just is used to such great effect. Sofia Coppola in the interview I listened to was like, yeah, it was helpful, but we also had to put her on Apple boxes like more than you would ever believe uh, because just to get them in frame together. But um, uh, I can I can see um, I always felt that way when Dwight and Angela would kiss on the office. You're like, wow, oh, yeah. she's so tiny, like so, so far apart. That's a, a long journey. Um, so uh, but I, I just want to shout out. It, it was really fun and, and really great. And, you know. Uh, I'm not going to spoil Saltburn whatsoever, but a very kind of different role for Elordi. But he similarly towers over uh, Barry Keoghan. Uh, oh. He's six five, and so in those moments, I, I it doesn't ever have that kind of same dynamic. But I was like, oh, he's 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 a wee guy too. Like I don't think he's that tall. But uh, it it was funny to kind of see that physicality across these two films in this weird. That's the other cinematic universe going on, right? The Elordi CU. Um, right. So you have to get it caught up on that one. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I can see that soon because I want to make sure we review it at some point. The last thing I'll say before we move on to Oscars watch, because I just thought of it and I was like, oh, that was a kind of a good point. So again, I'm going to shout out my neighbor, Amanda, because she pointed out when we were walking out of the theater. Wow. Elvis was really, really into the Madonna horror di- duality. Mm. right and so it's like and like and to go back to your earlier point about him the how different interpretations of him being a gentleman with with priscilla and i feel like the darker reading of that is like that he had some really psychologically questionable desires surrounding her virginity right like Mm. like that you know you mean like that there's a weird there's something weird going on there right um into the psycho you can psychoanalyze that in a whole other episode (laughs) probably have enough to say there the line when he's leaving germany that says you have to stay the way you are that's how i picture you that's that's also what you're talking about right now right it's like you have to be the virginal schoolgirl that i can fantasize about and keep in my collection you don't get to have desires or have contact with other people and so on so you mentioned before his his like weird Bible phase moment. I didn't know that um, existed in Elvis's life. And it reminds me of how much guff Marilyn Monroe gets for like um, when she started dating Arthur Miller. And it was like, oh, suddenly she's wearing glasses and carrying around a book. And I was like, wait, Elvis did this, too. And yet I haven't heard about this. So, you know, uh, it, it was illuminating to see that. And I think it all folds into that weird dynamic he had um, and. Uh, you know, it it feels like there are still large parts of this country that, you know, overemphasize virginity and, you know, um, abstinence as the clear path to virtue. And, you know, the warping effect that may be having on people, I think, is is explored here in Elvis. So it's interesting. All right. I think we're ready for Oscars watch. So, Greg, how much do you think this movie is actually in the Oscars conversation? (laughs) 
It goes on too long. I still have to edit this down. <laughs> All right. I want my answer to be so much more jaunty because of the music. Like, gee, Jen, okay. well, let's talk about Hollywood magic, and I'll soft shoe <laughs> while while responding. I was I, I was um, searching for red red carpet music. That was that was my yeah. That's how we it ended up. Nailed with this. it. Nailed it. Um, you know, uh, I'm gonna base my answers here on kind of the buzz that was largely around the Venice Film Festival, and then now and the kind of reception. Uh, I think this is going to be largely left out of the Oscar conversation. It just feels like um, it wasn't enough of a crowd pleaser to take that lane. It didn't. Um, I think the performance is amazing, but there's no Oscar reel moment. Um, Emily Blunt is still winning the lead actress or sorry, she'd be supporting actress uh, Oscar reel race, not the mm. race for the Oscar, but who has the best moment for the reel? Cause she has the one crying and yelling scene um and there's it, it would be hard to pick out a moment for this even though i do think it's a, a great um performance so my guess is we aren't going to hear anything for it if we do hear something i think it is probably um kaylee spaney that has the best shot and part of that is what i mentioned before about the way she's able to move from 14 to 40 kind of across this film and by all accounts of the filmmaking, often in the same day, they'd like shoot some schoolgirl scenes in the morning and then switch to, you know, full hairdo and so on in the afternoon, which is pretty incredible to think about. Yeah, I'd say that I, I yeah, I don't see it either. I'm actually leaning more towards it could have a, a um, shot at adapted screenplay more than mm. anything else. Um, and part of that is just because of Sofia Coppola's track record like the one oscar she's won was for a screenplay it was for original screenplay for last in translation so i feel like that's that's a possible thing but yeah i think it's one of those films that if it if it gets in at all it's just going to get one one nomination somewhere um i would feel i feel like lead actress is probably pretty stacked so i don't know if i don't think she can make it in either um because it's right now it's what like oh i guess is carrie mulligan gonna go lead or she's supporting i can't remember now for Maestro. For Maestro, I don't. I think lead, but that's yeah, one lead, that okay. could go either way. But yes, but she's probably campaigning, and it might be one of those things where Maestro, she's another lead. movie all the critics have seen and are tired of talking about, but we haven't seen yet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, obviously, it's like Lily Gladstone and uh, Emma Stone, and I mean, maybe um, Annette Benning. But maybe not. Probably um, at this point, probably somebody from Color Purple, um, like um, Past Lives, Fantasia um, Brino. right? So there's just a lot of there's there's a lot of people who are firmly in the cat in the race, and then like a whole slew of maybes. And so I, I yeah, yeah I feel like it's very likely she gets lost in the shuffle. Um, I think if this had had a huge opening and was really driving box office, there'd be a strong spot up there. But um, by all accounts, it's still Emma Stone's category. And, you know, I mean, in your list just now, you didn't even get to Margot Robbie, which would have surprised Summer Jen. um, But I think is a real maybe like she belongs in that maybe category. Uh, Same with Greta Lee, unfortunately, even though I think she's fantastic and so on. Um, I always wish these categories were based on like 
they could be, um, you know, in the, the Olympics, you get your technical score, but it's out of a different number, depending on how many hard elements. Like, I wish that's how they valued these parts, because because I do think it's a really difficult part compared to some of the ones you just listed. There are a lot of difficult parts in there. I mean, Annette Benning swimming like endlessly just forever. Uh, but um you know, it, it was a very challenging role to, to do all these ages, to do it so well. And, uh, you know, I think what she's probably going to get out of this is like a few really great offers for cool new roles for the, her next project. Um, although I guess she already has a film in the can with Kristen Dunst, which is how she got recommended for this. Um, but I don't know what, I think I did hear that. Yeah. There's not a big picture that they talked about that. That's that, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I think so. Um, so the other thing actually I just thought of is like, I can see this getting a lone craft nomination, mm-hmm. which I don't know why I didn't think of that earlier, but like costume, hair and makeup, I feel like it could get in there and then nothing else. Um, Cause it's period. It is towing that line of like the Academy prefers older period pieces to nom- to have be the random nomination. But like Cruella got in for costume and yeah. hair and makeup, I want to say. So, and like, so, you know, it's, it's, you know, the, it's the right era potentially. Um, so that's, that's definitely a possibility. But again, it's one of those things that like, if it starts getting a lot of a precursor awards for whatever reason, or critics kind of rally behind it, then, then that could turn the tide a little bit. But right now, I would say I would be pretty conservative and not really counted. And I don't, I don't think it has a shot at this picture. But, yeah. but that's okay. So, it's still yeah. good. And it's still, you know, it, there is this common complaint that this is the scale of movie they don't make anymore, right? The budget point on this and the kind of quiet nature of it. And um, I think we're both advocates of that kind of movie should exist. And we love the Oscar races. And one of us is crazy enough to see every single thing nominated. But it's also okay if we don't, um, you know, if it doesn't get that exact prestige, it can still be kind of a beloved movie. I think. Where I see Sofia Coppola is it's just she can still kind of get whatever project she wants off the ground. And that's exactly where I want her forever. Kind of like Wes Anderson, who can continue to do it. And, you know, if these become kind of cottage brands, then that's okay. And the people who love them can keep enjoying them. And the people who don't can go see, uh, I don't know, Marvel movies. Who knows? Weirdos like that. Uh, Wes Anderson is a really good comparison I hadn't thought about that because they have very similar the two of them have very similar relationships with the Oscars and with the Academy because Mm. I think Wes Anderson similarly with Grand Grand Budapest Hotel seemed to have a lot of Oscars you know love and then like everything went quiet after that really Um, it's just been a slow drop off since then so you know like you put in the in in our outline why did the academy fall out of love with sofia coppola do you have thoughts about that like do you do you have a theory i mean i want to note that i think mary antoinette failed in studio academy terms i don't know that it was like an absolute abysmal business but that was her sophomore album and that's not exactly fair because she had other movies but it's like she really broke with Lost in Translation and got all this attention. And then they didn't know what to do with Mary Antoinette, the contemporary music, the historical, but they're talking like present day. That all didn't work for them. And, and mm-hmm. so I think as soon as that got kind of, uh, you know, pushed back, then 
just a lot of what followed. And, you know, Amanda Dobbins pointed out in big picture, she's had a like trying stuff uh, period the last few years. Uh, her last movie was in the middle of the pandemic. I remember it dropped on Apple TV and it was like uh, it was Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. And it was kind of working. Yes, yes. Um, okay. Sophia working through her feelings about her dad, it kind of seems. Um, and it was, you know, I remember being excited. I think my wife and I sat down and watched it the night it came out. And it was fine, but it was kind of like a cool sitcom episode or a dramedy more than it was like something really. So I think that's all to say. I think it's a little bit of a bad, bad uh, second album. And then just um, not doing, I mean, The Beguiled was not really awards fair either. So um, I think it's, we're kind of staying out of it. But um, as I would say about Wes Anderson, that's fine. Do your thing. Make the art you love. <laughs> make it for the people who love it. And don't worry so much if the normies don't get it or whoever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say well said, but then he used the word, you invoked the term normies. <laughs> and now, now I can't endorse that because I was getting made fun of for that uh, forever. Um, all right. So I think, I think, I think that's a wrap. Uh, Greg, where can folks find you on the internet for all the fine uh, work you do? Can, uh, well, of course, as always, thanks for being on. It's such a joy to be on the podcast uh, whenever we get asked to. And to also have an excuse. Like the other night I was going to go to bed and I was like, I got to go see Napoleon because I'm going to get the call and the call is going to come in. Uh, so it's always good to have. An and then PT messed that up for us. Yeah, because yeah, it's coming. Has- that will probably be our, our episode after this. Uh, long take fans who, again, when you get this late in the episode, we're only talking to PT. So uh, it's fine. Um. So uh, people can find me online uh, at ioncanon.com, E-Y-E-O-N-C-A-N-O-N. That's my Substack stack uh, with a recent entry uh, about uh, Star Wars The High Republic, which is about books. <gasps> Gasp! I also read in, in addition to seeing movies. Uh, and I'm on Instagram and threads at ioncanon, spelled the same way. I, saw, I just saw you got your fancy new High Republic lightsaber. I wanted to put it in the background, but I couldn't make it stand upright. So we'll have to. Uh, yeah, don't don't break it. Get that like, up next. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Um, all right, and you First can find me legacy at... lightsaber, and it's heavy. Those suckers are heavy. I've never had one they are. before. They are. Um, yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> I have the Ahsoka one. It's yeah, they're heavy to the point where I'm like, am I actually going to like carry this around with me? Uh, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Anyway, uh, you can find me at Subchakchai, S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I on Instagram and threads. And you can find me uh, at Qui-Gon Jen on Letterboxd. And since PT is not here, we got to we got to pick up the slack and and plug the show Mm. one more time. So you can follow us on social media at The Long Take Review. We are mostly on Instagram and threads. And you can also subscribe to the pod, the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, but we are hosted from through Substack, the longtake.substack.com. And you get a twofer. If you subscribe to the podcast there, you also get all of my written reviews, which I'm I don't know. It's the at last week of classes for me. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to squeeze <laughs> out a doc, a Doctor Who review, but that's Ooh. that's what I'm hoping to do at some point because I, you know, that that episode, first anniversary episode was really good. But hey, yeah, so Doctor can... Who pod after all three specials air, I wouldn't <gasps> say no. We should. We could think about it. All right. Yeah. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> I already have uh, uh, Jim Clements, who was on for our indie Dial of Destiny episode. He's a huge Doctor Who fan, and he already has been like, "Are we doing? Are you doing a Doctor Who episode?" <laughs> so, so yeah, there's interest. Yeah. There's demand. We can do it. Well, 
thanks, Greg, for a great conversation. Thank you. About an unsettling and yet very good movie. Uh, <laughs> and thanks, everybody, for listening. Follow The Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel.